I know, I know, it's uh, Labor Day weekend, and uh, a few years ago, I was in the uh, country of Jamaica, and we were building a school there for a church, and uh, while we were there, they had their Labor Day, and so I was surprised that on their Labor Day, uh, when we went to the work site, there was over 50 people from the community that showed up on Labor Day, because there, on Labor Day, you go find a job to do that you wouldn't normally do. Uh, I kind of like the rest part better, but anyway, I'm glad you're here. If you need to rest, uh, my rule is, if you're tired, go to sleep, and uh, we'll catch you. We'll somehow let you know when the end of the service is, okay? And uh, we, won't, we won't all walk out and leave you sitting there, I, I promise. Hey, over the past few weeks, uh, Pastor Mark has kind of led us through a journey of discovering that as kingdom people, our lives are different. Amen? Our li- our life, oh, yes, I forgot. Uh, if you haven't been around when I preach, the more you talk back to me, the faster I preach, the quicker we finish. Can I get an amen? There it is. All right. This book of First Peter really points out that we're different and, and how we're called to be people who are different. Now, I don't know, in high school, were you ever called different? That wasn't really a um, compliment, was it? It, it really wasn't. So let me, let me improve it just a minute. <clears throat> Scripture tells us that God has called us to be a peculiar people. Look at the person next to you. Do they look peculiar? Yes, sir. I like that. Hey, we're called to be different. We're called to be peculiar. So, I'm going to ask, in honor of God's Word, that all the peculiar people here please stand. We're going to read Scripture. If You say, well, I don't really see myself as peculiar. Then sit down. Here we go. I'm going to begin at verse 8 of uh, the third chapter of First Peter. Finally, that was, can I just tell you, that was my favorite part of church. My dad preached, and I sat under his ministry for, I don't know, 30 plus years. I loved it when he got to the point, and in closing, or finally. I meant church was over, and I'm out of here. But, it, but Peter says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, Love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Remember that word. Because to this you were called, remember that word, that you might inherit a blessing. Then he jumps into Isaiah and he kind of quotes a portion of Isaiah. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. Remember that. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are what? Blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Remember that. It's so important. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Lord, this is your word, not ours, for your people for today. So Jesus, we're listening. We're not listening to the preacher. Jesus, we want to listen to you. And will you speak to us, Lord, through your word in thy name. Amen. You may be seated. Or you can stand with me for the rest of the service. So uh, let's continue our journey now in chapter 3 and verse 8. And where we're picking up, he, like I said, he uses this word finally. Peter is summing up all of the things that, that he's been writing about in this letter. Remember, he's writing it to a church. He's writing it to us. And so he's laid some stuff up back in chapter 1. If you have your Bible, just go back one page. You won't get lost. Peter told us to be different people who live holy lives. He said, in fact, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And then in chapter 2, he calls us living stones. We're called chosen people. The further on in chapter 2, he challenged us to live godly lives in a pagan society. Do we live in a pagan society today? Thank you. Yes, we do. And he says what? Live godly. And then the first part of chapter 3, Peter continues and even includes the relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, I really wanted to preach that this morning. I love it. But we moved on. It includes that relationship between husband and wife. Why? Because it illustrates the idea of our obedience to Christ. Peter is kind of saying, okay, with all these things in mind, here we go. And he gives us seven traits. You ready? First off, he says, be like-minded. How many of us all think the same? I hope not. Life would be really boring. In fact, if everybody felt the same, thought the same, what's the use of having anybody else around, right? He said, be like-minded. Now, I like what Romans 15, 5 says. He says, may the God who gives endurance, man, we need that, and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And Christ's attitude, if you summed up Christ's attitude, it would be one of love. And that needs to be our attitude, amen? Now, this doesn't mean that we're always going to agree. I mean, I'm really praying for another world championship for my L.A. Rams. How many Ram fans we got out there? Absolutely none. <laughs> yeah, you're hoping for somebody else. And the thing about it, you know, eventually, eventually I realize that you're going to come along and realize that I'm right. No, what he's talking about is, we may not agree on everything, amen, but the one thing that even in our disagreements, we must have love one for another. That's the key. Well, he goes on, he says, be sympathetic. When one weeps, we all weep. 
When one rejoices, we rejoice. So there's something that our, our world desperately needs. It's sympathy, empathy. It, it, it's, it's that sense when you're going through a difficult time and somebody comes alongside of you and says, I'm here. I'm with you. Well, he says we need to love one another. Now, what else needs to be said there, of course? In fact, part of the two commandments that Jesus said, all the other ones hang on were what? Love God and love. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. It's kind of a psychological part of the service. I want you to see in your mind, I want you to see the face of somebody that really, how do I say this biblically, chaps your hide. You got that person? Come on. He, they just chap your hide. Jesus says, be different and love them. Sometimes I wish we could scratch that one, but it's there. He goes on, he says, be compassionate. Jesus, as he entered Jerusalem, the scripture tells us that he stopped, he looked at the city, and he what? He wept. And he said, man, they're like people just wandering around, sheep without a shepherd. Christ was deeply moved in his heart. That's one of the traits. Peter says, be humble. Again, like Jesus the Scripture tells us that Jesus didn't think equality with God was something to be held on to, but he released it. And he became obedient as a servant, even to death on the cross. Or to be humble. Now, here's one. He says, don't repay evil for evil. That's a hard one. Kind of get an amen. I mean, when we're hurting, when someone mistreats us or someone has had attitude, nobody here has attitude, I know, but other people have attitude toward us. We love to kind of just give it back just a little bit, amen? I mean, it's like, Jesus, can't we just kind of, just, just a little bit? Peter says we're called to be different. We're called to be kingdom people. So that means when we are insulted, instead of giving an insult back, we repay it with blessing. And it's genuine blessing. It's not like somebody's rude to us and we just like, well, bless your heart. It doesn't work. Just be kind. Then we, so Peter sets this up, okay? And I don't know about you, but how many of you have all those working right now? I mean, it's perfect in your life. Okay, good, because now I can go on with the rest of the sermon. Because in verses 9 through 12, what Peter does is he kind of reiterates what he's just said, to turn from evil, to do good, to seek peace, and pursue it. Um. Once again, he's, he's, he's talking about our, our proper response as 
followers of Christ to the abusive and the hostile hostility that we find in our world today towards Christ and the things of Christ. Peter's reminding us once again that we must live differently. We respond differently than the world responds. By the way, the word blessing here is in the present active participle. And and what that means, in other words, it's an ongoing attitude, an action. Not just a one-time thing, but it's ongoing. Folks, we're called to be different. We're called to live a different lifestyle, not one time, but in a continual basis. We're called to join in with Christ in this different kind of living. One of my favorite groups when I was really young, a couple weeks ago, is DC Talk. Somebody got blessed. (laughs) Well, when you get my age, everything hurts and what don't hurt don't work. But anyway, back to DC Talk. They had a song and there was a, a monologue that came on right before the song that a guy by the name of Brennan Manning wrote, and it says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Folks, listen, Jesus has called us to be different, and he's called us to be consistently different in the way we live our life. There's a side note here. This is no charge. As I was reading there in verse 12, something jumped out at me. I was wondering, as people of God, if we really begin to say, Jesus, help me to live this way, that our prayers would not be even more effective than they are right now. There's a promise in verse 12. If you live this lifestyle, since God is attentive to the prayers. Well, let's go on. Look at verse 13 and 14. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good, right? If you're doing good, nobody's going to mess with you. Wrong. But this is referring back to Peter's challenge to us that we find in verses 8 and 9, to live differently than the world lives. Now, when we live this way, no doubt there's a good probability, uh, it's probably going to happen, that we're going to suffer for doing right, just as Jesus suffered for doing good. Folks, listen, it's all about participating in the sufferings of Jesus. We're called to be those people. The result of suffering is what? Blessing. You see, this echoes the words of Jesus as he preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, rightness in their lives, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Then we live right lives. That's what Jesus said. In 
In verse 15, as I was reading, going through the Scripture, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like that um, it almost felt out of place, if you will. There's a command here in verse 15. And, and it's like, Peter, you're kind of off base. No, man, as we dig in, it explodes with meaning. Peter challenges us with this. He says, set aside or revere Christ in your heart as what? Lord. What he's talking about is a sanctified heart. The call for sanctification is a call for single-minded devotion. Folks, listen, we aren't perfect. We're never going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But we have been called to be a holy people. And how, do, how is it that we become holy? How is it that I can follow the things that we have seen here in Scripture? There's only one way to do it. I must sanctify the Lord Jesus in my heart. And what does that mean? I need to set Jesus aside, or I need to set Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I need to consider Him the absolute center of my life. This is the heart of answering the questions that relates to our hope. The answer that God wants me to give others is more about who than about what. I thought about it. I will tell you what I hope for. But first, let me tell you who I hope in. Where's your hope this morning? This guy walked up to a park and there was a Little League game going on. And uh, he noticed the score and he went up and the little guy sitting on a bench and he said... Uh, How's it going? He said, we're losing 18 to 0. He said, oh man, that must be discouraging. He said, oh no. He said, it's only the top of the first inning. We, we haven't even batted yet. And that's hope. But it's so interesting what we put our hope in, folks. We're not talking about I hope my Rams make it to another Super Bowl. We're not talking about, I hope the light switch works when I flip it. We're talking about a hope that transcends this world. We're talking about a hope when everything seems to be coming apart at the seams. There's a deep, settled peace in my heart. It's a different kind of hope. And if I'm to attain that hope, and by the way, which eventually people begin to ask... Can I just tell you, as we put Jesus Christ as the center of our life, as we put him as Lord of our life, can I tell you, Jesus answers every question of life. See, this putting Christ at the center is how we prepare our understanding. If others question our hope, which the Scripture says they will. Now, the reason Peter said that be ready to give an answer is because these folks that he was writing to, they had changed. They had made a change in their life. 
And that change was so obvious, it was so different that it was causing questions. If others question, oh, it's clear indication that they're looking, they're, they're scrutinizing our lives. Peter points us to Christ as our Lord. This is just another way of the idea of holiness that Peter spoke of in chapter 1 and verse 13 and 15. If you have your Bibles, just flip the page and, and, and go there. He says, therefore, with the minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. I don't know about you, but that verse shakes me to the core. Folks, listen, when we put Christ as Lord, it's not about how good we can be but it's how much that we put him at the center and lean into him. Because when we do that, he said, I will put in Ezekiel, he said, I will put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my decrees. The goal, the, the key here is putting Christ in the center of my life and then I'm able to live as the scripture is challenging me. We, we must be different. Resist the temptation to blend into our culture. And we need to strive to be like Christ in all things. And to be like Christ, I must make Christ Lord of my life. The second half of this same verse, Peter says to be ready to give an answer. It's important that as Christ followers, that we're ready to give an answer to anyone who, gives and to, who asks us for a reason for the hope. You know, I'm convinced people want solid answers today. Especially with the millennials. They're, they're, I believe they're, they're just so tired of all the rhetoric. They just, they just want real stuff. They want solid answers. There's a branch of theology that, that deals with these questions. That branch of theology is called apologetics. Are you impressed? I didn't think so. When, when Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer... You ever met somebody that had all the answers? That's annoying, isn't it? He said, always be prepared to give an answer. The Greek word for answer is apologia. Okay? Say that word, apologia. Now you know some Greek. We get it from the English word, and what word do you think comes from apologia? Apology. Correct. So when we hear the word apologetics, we might think that we're supposed to apologize for our Christian faith. But the Greek word doesn't mean an apology, but it means a logical answer. So when Peter says we should be prepared to give an answer, he's not saying be prepared to apologize for what you believe or that we need to have all the answers. I mean... What questions are they going to ask? I think when we think about this scripture, we often think that these questions will be kind of intellectual in nature. Question on Bible topics like um, the mark of the beast. Is it my credit card? Or the book of Revelation. 
You know, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or we just tribbing? How about the Holy Spirit? Well, these are certainly important questions that need answers, and we need to be prepared. But let me tell you something. On a different level this morning, I'm convinced that the questions that Peter has in mind here are more personal and practical. Our hope is personal, church. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in a relationship with Jesus. Oh, church, if there's anything that I could share with you, it's not about knowing who Jesus is. It's not about knowing about Him, but it's putting Him as Lord of our life. Our hope is personal, church. People want to know how Jesus meets me where I'm at in a practical way. That's what he wants us to share with this hostile society we live in. The idea for how Christians should relate to even this hostile culture or social situation is really thought-provoking to me. He doesn't advocate withdrawing from society. Church is not about let's gather in the building and have a holy huddle. But neither does he talk about the, some kind of hostile counterattack on society. Well, Myrna and I lived in a place called Carpinteria, California. It's right on the beach. It was beautiful. We used to live in a cul-de-sac and Oh, I don't know, almost every Saturday, I had a couple of people that would walk my neighborhood. Stopping at each house. Let's have a conversation. And I'd see them coming. And I knew I had a few minutes before they got to my house. And I'd, go into the, I'd get my Bible, I'd load both barrels. I'm going to blow you away with Jesus and get you Right. Until one day, two of them came and stood in my driveway, and they talked for hours. And I looked at I looked at one of them, and I said, "Hey, would you be willing to come and meet with me?" I never told him I was a pastor till the very end because I usually shut the door. And I invited this person to come, and to my surprise, he said, "Yes, I'll come." Now, he believed that I was, an, I was an embodiment of Satan. That, that's what he believed as a pastor. He parked his car. He couldn't even come in our parking lot with his car. But he came to my office. We talked. When we were done talking and sharing, I asked him, I said, I understand what you've told me and what your church says, but can you tell me, what does Jesus do right here? Just for you. And he just looked at me. I wish you could have seen his face. And I shared with him, can I share with you what Jesus means to me? And, and he did. We finished and I said, uh, can, can I pray? He said, no. He said, but I'll pray. I said, go, hit it. So we prayed. And I wish you could have seen him as he left. I have to believe that somehow Jesus got through that man's heart. Folks, listen. It's not us against them. 
Jesus never said it's us against them. Yeah, there's issues that we have strong feelings on. There's issues that we believe are so important. But Jesus never told us to have hostile attitude toward the world. In fact, he said, make me Lord of your life and I'll teach you a different way to live. Hey, we may be aliens. Some of you maybe think, well, I won't say it. Maybe we look like aliens. I don't know. But as a Christian community, we may be aliens in a foreign land, but cultural isolation is not the route we need to take, but rather it's to live a different lifestyle and live it in openness and let the world see it in the middle of an unbelieving world to be prepared to explain the reason for our hope. So who needs to be prepared? All of us. Every single one of us. These Christians, they had put aside certain practices and acquaintances and things were changing. They weren't hanging out in the same places. What I think this implies is that the world will notice if we have a hope that differs from theirs. They'll take notice if our hope impacts the choices and attitudes that we make. What's the reason for your different hope this morning? Okay, here's the magic word, finally. It's amazing, though, how a pastor can stretch the final one like hours. I told someone we ought to be out by two. I think his response or his thought was, well, enjoy yourself, pastor. (laughs) Finally, in verse 16, Peter says that we must be what? He says, do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Folks, listen, if we just live Jesus, we may be suffering, we may be ridiculed, but let me tell you, bottom line, they're going to notice. Peter says they'll be ashamed of how they treated you. I need a right attitude. It's really interesting to me how Peter here in verse 16 goes on to talk about how we have to keep a clear conscience when testifying the reason for the hope we have in Christ. I, I think this is for two reasons. First of, first of all, a clear conscience regarding our own integrity before God. Because here's the question. How can I explain the hope and give the reasons for the hope that I have in Christ if my life contradicts that hope. And then the second thing is, and our reason for our testimony must be conducted in an appropriate manner that shows Christ's love for the seeker. So really we're talking about humility and respect. Can I just tell you that how we answer a question sometimes is just as important as the question itself. 
I can either create animosity or curiosity by the way I respond to the questions that others have. Just having the right answer is not good enough. I must learn to speak the truth in love. And that's when, folks, the truth will change lives. We must never lose sight of what God has called us to share. It's not about myself. It's not about my self-respect. Peter says we must be ready to defend the different kind of hope that is in us. It is a true expectation that even if we are ridiculed and put to the test, we can never forget that the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 1 Peter 2.6 The sharing of the reasons for our different hope begins with this question. You ready? Who is Lord of your life this morning? Who is the center of my life this morning? Can I just tell you that there's lots of things out there that are good that can be the center. It can be a relationship. It can be your spouse. It, it can be your finances. It, it, it can be a, a, just a, a plethora of things. But if we're going to be able to live this different life, there's only one way I can do it. And I've learned I can't do it on my own. I cannot do it without Jesus. And that's why Peter said, first thing, make Christ Lord of your life. Then he'll give you the strength and the power and the presence to live as you should. Would you just bow your heads for just a moment? One thing that I'm trying to do more of in my life is listen to Jesus. And for the next few moments that we have, can you just listen to Jesus right now? He said, I want you to live differently. I want you to show the world. I want you to tell the world the reasons for your hope that's different than theirs. But first, I, have, I must be Lord of your life. Will you just right now, in your own heart, just say, Jesus, I'm listening. And let him speak to you.